0: reading uh, from the book of John, uh, chapter 3, verses 1 through 15. Uh, Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. And this man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Altogether, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Um, you may take your seats. I want to
1: invite up Tim Sin. Now that name, Tim Sin, sounds like a DJ name at a club we should not be at. But uh, the good Reverend Tim Sin is uh, the English-speaking pastor at uh, New Life Mission Church. It's a Korean PCA church in Aurora. Uh, Tim is married. His wife, Helen, has a couple kids. He's a Philly kid. He likes uh, the Eagles. Mm. He bleeds green. Yes, I do. Uh, I don't even care about that, but um, we won't hold that against you. Just kidding. There's a couple people here that are Philly folks. Um, We're really glad you're here. Tim, um, since I've been here, has been a good friend to me. Um, And so I'm so thankful to sit under your preaching, Tim. And can I pray for you? Please. I'll leave, leave you be. Father, thank you for my friend, Tim. Thank you that his love for you is so contagious. Lord, I pray that all of our hearts would be soft, that we would learn from John 3, and um, that all of us would just be surprised with joy and satisfaction, and you bless this time the preaching of your word. Amen. Amen. All right, buddy. Thank you, Pastor Ronnie. Uh, It's been such a blessing to know your pastor
2: uh, in the past couple years. Uh, And two things I can definitely conclude about him, you know, um, that he is, he loves Jesus and then also um, he loves the church. He loves you guys. Uh, And underneath all that, I can totally see that the source is not him. It's actually the fact that he has been so loved that he can love Jesus and he can love all of you. Uh, he's like a pastor. Uh, he has a pastor's heart. He's, a, he's like a pastor to other pastors. Je- definitely thankful for him and thankful for this church. Uh, my wife and kids, we actually worship here when we're on vacation. Uh, some of the members here are our closest friends, and so we're very grateful for them, grateful for you. Every time like, I, I drive near the church... Well, you guys were away from this location, but whenever I drove near this location, I pray for you guys, even though you guys were worshiping somewhere else in the summer, but I I pray for you guys, you know, knowing that we are sister churches, living for the same kingdom, submitting to the same Lord, saved by the same gospel. So just so grateful. Definitely shout out really quickly to Pastor Jason as well. Um, I don't know about you guys, but I feel like whenever I talk to him, like he loves me the most out of anybody uh, I'm sure he feels you feel that way whenever you interact with him as well, and so I'm so grateful for the staff here and for this opportunity. Uh, I also love this gospel, the Gospel of John. Actually, the last time I preached here years ago, I preached from John and, and so we're going back into John, John chapter three. and what I like about the, the, the author of John, he is so intentional with. The details. Like in John chapter 3, he talks about how Nicodemus comes in the darkness of night. In John chapter 4, with Jesus' interaction with the Samaritan woman, we see the detail that John uh, includes in that story that the Samaritan woman leaves her water jar at the well because she encountered the living water. After being thirsty and not finding satisfaction in this world or in people, she found the living water and she will never thirst again, so she leaves her jug at the well to tell others about Jesus. It's these details that I just so love about John. And so here in John chapter 3, we see the context of the most famous verse, I believe, In scripture, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Eternal life. One of the most famous verses in the Bible, and it's like one of the most important. I think it's the most important verses in the Bible, and here we see the context of that. Jesus' interaction with Nicodemus. And so simply put, I feel like uh, I need to start off with this central truth that our passage is teaching us this. You must be born again onto new life through Christ. You must be born again onto new life through faith in Christ. And we're going to take a look at this point through three points. First, the person. Second, the question, and lastly, the salvation. So first, the person. Going into our passage, verse one. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. So let's look at the person the person of Nicodemus, he's a Pharisee, he's one of the holiest of holy people. He knows his scripture. Not only that, he's a ruler of the Jews, he's part of the Sanhedrin, the the 71 elders that ruled Jerusalem. So this guy, he's wealthy, he's knowledgeable, he's eloquent, he's respected, he's probably ethnically pure, It's powerful. You would want a Nicodemus in your church. (laughs) You'd want him as an elder. You'd want him as a pastor. And we see that here Nicodemus is like Mother Teresa meeting George Washington, meeting Elon Musk. I feel like uh, every, like, Korean parent would want their child to marry someone like Nicodemus. (laughs) What I love, again, about this gospel is the gospel of John and all the details. Here we see this respected, moral man, Nicodemus. Like, if you had to place bets on who would be in heaven if you were in Jerusalem back then, it would be a Nicodemus. And then in John chapter 4, we see the Samaritan Woman, non-ethnically pure, immoral, rejected by the society so much that she had to go to the well in the middle of the day, the hottest part of the day. Why? Because the town hated her that much. She was filled with so much shame that she would rather experience the heat of the sun than the heat of people's gossip. We see the spectrum here. Nicodemus is on one side, and then the Samaritan woman on the other side. And Jesus meets both. Jesus ministers to both. He loves on both. He shares the good news with both. He points both toward himself. So I don't know about you. I I don't know this church very well. I don't know the members of this church. Maybe you're more like a, a Nicodemus, and Jesus is calling you to himself. And maybe you're more like a Samaritan, the Samaritan woman, and Jesus is saying, hey, I, I'm the living water, and if you drink from me, you will never thirst. To Nicodemus, he says, you must be born again. For the Samaritan woman, he says, drink of me. I think it's one and the same thing. Hallelujah. So Nicodemus goes to Jesus when? By night. Why night? Because he was scared of the Jews, he didn't want them to know. It's like in those movies when a teenager, like, sneaks out in the middle of the night. Why? To hang out with his friends. Maybe I'm talking about your past for some of you, right? Uh, and, like, to meet with your friends. Or in the middle of the night, to, to meet with a forbidden love. And it's, it's beautiful. But here, uh, Nicodemus, he's going in the middle of the night to, to meet Jesus. And it's like a forbidden love almost. He's embarrassed. He's ashamed. He doesn't want people to know. And so he goes. He sneaks to Jesus, but John doesn't use uh, by night that phrase just to talk about when and why, but also to reveal to us the state of Nicodemus' heart. He is blind. He is in the darkness. He does not see at this moment the light of the world, the light of salvation in Jesus. And I feel like for us, maybe some of us we, we have deceived ourselves to think that we live in the light, maybe just like Nicodemus. But the truth is, we live in darkness. That we think Christianity is about living a moral life or about being good, being holy enough. But the truth is, it's, it's about knowing Jesus as your Lord and Savior, placing all of your trust in him. Understanding and experiencing the forgiveness of grace that we've talked about earlier in this worship. Jesus, are we in the light today?" And then Nicodemus, he, he makes a comment. "Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher, come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Rabbi. Yo, Jesus, like I'm a rabbi too, and I'm just letting you know you got some street cred here. I approve. You're a rabbi just like me. God is with me, and God is with the the, the Sanhedrin, the ruling elders. I'm one of them, and so I need to make sure that you know that God is with you too, and I, I just affirm that. He goes to Jesus, not with a question, but with a statement, and it's almost like a statement of affirmation, thinking that Jesus was waiting for that, like he so needed that statement of affirmation. I talked to my youth students, the youth students at our church about this, but this is like one of the most important questions that we need to answer in our lives. The question of, who is Jesus to us? Who is Jesus to us? Is he just a teacher, a rabbi? Is he just a good person, a moral example? Oh, I know that God was with him and I just want to be more like Jesus. If you believe that Jesus is just a good teacher, you will not be saved. If you believe that Jesus is just a good moral example that you should follow, you will not be saved. Who is Jesus to us? Is Jesus our Savior? Is he our Lord? Is he the living water that we drink from? The bread of life that we eat from? Is he the source of life itself? Is he the source of our hope? Not in our righteousness, our record of righteousness, our standing, our our wealth. Is he the foundation, the source of our hope, of our life, of our joy, of our peace, of everything? We started this point of the person... Talking about the person of Nicodemus, but we ended this point by talking about the person of Jesus. Who is Jesus to us? Who is Jesus to us? This leads us to our second point the question. Verse three Jesus answered him Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So I observed a student in class this past week, and uh, the student out of the blue talked to his instructor, and he was like, wouldn't it be so, it was, it was, so, it was like random. He said, like, wouldn't it be so cool if all the countries of South America just joined and became like one superpower? And I was confused because the class had nothing to do with politics, had nothing to do with geography, and, and the student was just like saying this random comment I feel like that's almost the case here. Like Nicodemus goes to Jesus, gives him his statement of affirmation, like, Rabbi, I know God is with you. And then Jesus all of a sudden says, Hey, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. It's as if Jesus knows Nicodemus' heart, his source of hope, his identity. And he pulls it all apart. Jesus knows that Nicodemus thinks he knows the kingdom of God. He thinks he knows that his life, his study, his career, his wealth, his politics, his power are enough, are the truth for Nicodemus. But Jesus just throws a curveball and it leaves Nicodemus almost undone. New Testament scholar Leon Morris, he says this, in one sentence, he sweeps away all that Nicodemus stood for and demands that he be remade by the power of God. Jesus is saying, hey, Nicodemus, your wealth cannot save you. Your standing cannot save you. Your education, your power, your respect, your reputation, your righteousness even will not save you You cannot enter into the kingdom of God unless you are born again. So the question from Nicodemus is simply put, how can we be born again? It's very logical. How can a grown person enter into the mother's womb again to be born again? He just has no idea what that means. And I was the same way too at one point. I remember when uh, I was older as an adult and I saw one of my high school friends and We talked, and we caught up, and he he asked me what I believed in, what was my religion. I said, I was a Christian. I'm like, how about you? And he was like, oh, I'm not a Christian. I'm a born-again Christian. I was just confused. I was like, what is this language of being born again? I don't understand. I, I thought I was born again as a Christian, and here he is saying that differentiating his religion from mine. But I understood then, after conversations with him, that he was just trying to make a clarification. That he's not just a Christian that just says he's a Christian that just attends church on Sundays, but he actually believes in the truth of Jesus. That he has experienced renewal in his heart. It's almost as if resurrection has entered into his life and there's resurrection life with that new heart. I mean, that's the basis of church that I serve at currently, New Life Mission Church. New life. That's part of our core values. We desire to see new life, and that's what it means to be born again. That's what my friend was talking about, and that's what Jesus is talking about. You need new life New creation is not just Revelation 21 and and the new heavens and new earth. New creation has broken into the present. The old has gone. The new has come. But the thing is, if Nicodemus truly understood the Old Testament, he would have understood that. Psalm 51, we recited it. Create in me a clean heart, born again. Ezekiel 36, take out a heart of stone and put in a heart of flesh, born again. Jeremiah 31, a new covenant in the heart, born again. And yet, Nicodemus, he just had no idea. The late J.C. Ryle, he said this, and this is describing what it means to be born again it is a thorough change of heart, will, and character. It is a resurrection, it is a new creation. It is passing from death to life. It is the implanting in our dead hearts a new principle from above. I remember going to a funeral and the pastor, he shared this truth and it just rocked my world. He said, this person in the casket, this person, it's, it's, he's, he's not dead. He's experiencing new life more than ever. And it's not the fact that he's entering uh, into the land of the dead from the land of the living. No, he's actually, the land of life, he's actually entering into the land of the living from the land of the dying. And he goes on, he went on to explain how this person actually did not die when we thought he died. He actually died years before when he received Jesus as his Lord and Savior. But he died at that point that he was crucified with Christ at that point and he trusted in Jesus and he experienced new life a new life that may start that started back then and will last into eternity that's the hope for us for those who are in Christ for those who have tasted and seen that God is good that truly knows the life of Jesus that has breathed in the breath of the holy spirit That experience being born again. We have been born, and now nothing can stop us. Not even our physical death will kill us. Jesus talks about the wind, and so appropriate. You know, the Holy Spirit being sent with the rumble of the wind. And then throughout the Old Testament, wind, breath, it's all associated with new life, being new creation. And all this points to our last point, the salvation. Verse 9, Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony if I have told you earthly things and you do not believe. How can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. In these verses, Jesus is talking to Nicodemus about how he's from heaven. He knows what he's talking about. He's the Son of Man. He's the Son of God. He's God the Son He knows what he's talking about. He spoke God's word. He knows what he's talking about. He's revealing the truths of heaven. Commentator Richard Phillips, he says this. His point is that unless you have been to heaven, as he has, you have no way of knowing the heavenly things on your own. He's playing with Nicodemus, hey, trust in me. I know you want to trust in your own crew, your own education, your own schooling, your your crowd, your cliques. Trust in me. Believe in me. Believe in what I have to say. You must be born again. But, like, f- for me, like, I feel like the next thing that Jesus should talk about is, like, you know, doctrine of new creation or like how to, what are the steps to be born again or what, what does it mean to, to live a spirit-filled life? Like, uh, it's, it, it's interesting. And Jesus actually does that. He does. How does he does that? How does he do that? In verse 7, it's very interesting. Jesus says this, do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. What Jesus is saying is like, okay, I know I just told you that you must be born again to enter into the kingdom of heaven. and The spirit needs to work in you to create in you a new heart. And I'm trying to tell you that it's by grace that you have been saved. You need God to enter into your life, to to build you up, to give you new life. It's not a work that you've done. You haven't saved yourself. It's God. But I want you to focus on this. I need you to get this. Verse 14. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Nicodemus. The goal isn't for you to try to be born again, to try to muster up strength to be born again. It's the Spirit's work. And so the object of your faith must not be in the new life, but the object of your faith must be in the Son of Man who gives that new life. It must be Jesus Christ. Jesus refers back to Numbers 21, the bronze serpent. The Israelites, in their pride, even though God miraculously provided for them in the wilderness—manna from heaven, water from Meribah—the Exodus, even—and yet they were grumbling against the Lord. And so, God, in His judgment and discipline, He sent uh, He sent fiery serpents, and the Israelites they were dying left and right. And they pled to Moses for help. Moses the intercessor. And to be saved, God provided these instructions that Moses was to build this bronze serpent. And that whoever would turn from themselves and turn to the bronze serpent, they would be healed and they would be saved. So confusing, right? Because serpent, Genesis 3, that's sin. How is that salvation? That is really confusing because we just recited like Westminster, like Westminster Shorter Catechism about like, you know, idols. Like, what's going on? Is that an idol? And in John chapter 3, Jesus, he clarifies it. Just like the bronze serpent was lifted up, the Son of Man must be lifted up. That Jesus, who was without sin, he became sin for us on the cross, dying for our sin and shame, receiving the wrath and judgment of God for us. Why? So that we may be saved. That we, for us to be born again, we must truly have faith. And it's not just faith in a new heart, it's faith in Jesus Christ, the Son of Man, lifted up. And we're just called to look. Stop looking at ourselves, our own strength, our resume. Stop looking at this world for salvation, but look to the Son of Man, look to Jesus. I believe it was Pastor Charles Spurgeon that said, it doesn't take much to look. All we have to do is look. And yet sometimes for some of us, including me, it's like the hardest thing to look. Look and be saved. Back then, uh, the birthing process was very dangerous for moms. A lot of moms would die giving birth. Even now, I mean, my wife almost died as well giving birth. And this image of being born again, Jesus is using that so appropriately, essentially saying someone had to die so that you may live. Someone had to die so that you may be born again. And it's me. I am the bronze serpent lifted up. Do you trust in me? Look to me. Believe in me. It's all about the details. John chapter 19. John, near the end of his gospel, after Jesus died, after he was crucified, we see someone with Joseph of Arimathea in the daylight coming out, helping Joseph bury Jesus in the light. And I believe that at that moment on the cross, that's when Nicodemus saw, he looked, he saw, and he understood, he believed, he was born again, and came into the light. Denver press. Church, do we believe? When's the last time we looked? Do we trust, and if we do, we can be so sure that we are born again unto eternal life. Let me pray for us. God, we give you all the glory and thanks. It doesn't take much to look, but sometimes it could be the hardest thing to look. to trust, to surrender. Seek after you as the source of life. But help us, O God, to trust in Jesus, the son of man lifted up just like the serpent. And by looking, by believing, may we be born again unto eternal life. May we experience the joy of new life. And we prayed that earlier. Restore unto us the joy of our salvation. Help us to experience that every moment of every day. Thank you. We praise you. We praise you for the details. We praise you for your sovereignty. We praise you for your grace and mercy. In Jesus' name.